Turn your Bible, please, to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22, please. Ezekiel chapter 22. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you that the anchor cast into the very Holy of Holies into Jesus Christ will hold regardless of the storms that press upon us. Many of the people within the sound of our voice today have had storms in their lives, storms of illness, pain, affliction, disappointment, discouragement, defeat, sorrow. But Father, thank you that you're equal to every storm and the anchor will hold when it's placed firmly in Christ. Use this service today for thy glory. May the Holy Spirit make us aware of the teaching of the Word of God. And may someone who has never been saved come to Christ. May every believer rejoice in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning with verse 23. I got the idea for this message today, of course from the text, but specifically for today from the life of Lee Kennedy and his ministry among us and his faith and his faithfulness. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst of her. Like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many withers in the midst of her. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they shown difference between the unclean and the clean, and have hidden in their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dubbed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity, and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression, and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the sojourner wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge, and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Underscore verse 30 especially. I sought for a man among them 
that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. This passage equals 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 as some of the saddest words in the Bible. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. In this passage, I sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge, stand in the gap, but I found none. The picture, the word picture, is God surrounding the people with his protection but there's a gap in that surround because of the sins of the people and that gap has allowed the wrath and indignation of God to come in because the people have not been seeking the protection of the Lord and Ezekiel is saying I, I sought for a man he's actually using the words of God, he says, God is saying, I sought for a man that would stand in that gap where sin has, has been, where sin has been allowed to enter in, and thus the judgment of God is about to enter in the people. And I sought for a man among them that would stand in the gap and make up the hedge, but I couldn't find anybody. Now let's think of this text for just a moment or two. Israel was in trouble. Sin was rampant. The land was not cleansed. The prophets pretended to make known the mind of God. They pretended to say, thus saith the Lord, when God hadn't said anything. They were deceived. They were deceivers. They were devourers, devourers of the souls of men. They flattered people. And instead of pointing out the sin of the people, they flattered them and made them feel good about themselves. And thus there was nobody who could even sense the need for repentance. Now our day has gone pretty mild, pretty, pretty wild after that kind of preaching. Self-esteem preaching, something will lift us up, make us feel better about ourselves. Well, there's a place for that, but only in Christ. The very fact and the truth about it is that most of us have putrefying sores. We're far from what God wants us to be. And we need to hear the pure word of God. In the day in which Ezekiel wrote, the prophets were just pretending. They said, God said you all are good people. God said this, God said that. God hadn't spoken at all. And they were flattering people into thinking they were all right when they really weren't all right. Then he goes on to say, the priests who were to teach by the law violated the law of God themselves. They did not put a difference between the holy and the profane, between the clean and the unclean. This doesn't really make any difference what you do. It's all in your, how you interpret it. Doesn't make a difference what kind of actions you perform. Really doesn't make a difference how you live. We have a wonderful God who understands your need. He understands all about you and knows how much you need this and how much you need this, how much your body craves and so on. And so God will understand, it doesn't make any difference how you live. Thus, 
doing violence and blaspheme to the Word of God. They ignored the Sabbaths. And instead of the priests reminding the people, you have violated God's special day, they said, well, after all, maybe God didn't mean all that he said about the Sabbath. And they sort of winked at the idea. We live in that kind of age today. You know, years ago there were churches that had church service at 6 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes 5 o'clock in the morning. When I lived in Louisville, there were churches that had masses at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. And I asked uh, one time a, a minister in that church, why do you do that? Well, they said we do that so that they can have the whole day free to do whatever they want to do. That's their only day off. That's what I'd suspected. That's sort of what the priests were doing in that day. They were saying, it doesn't make any difference how you live. Sabbath day isn't that holy anyway. And we live in a day when the Lord's day has been profaned. And God, God's people use the Lord's day as a fun day, a holiday, a ball game day, a picture show day, and use it for everything but service to Jesus Christ. And the sad thing is, the pulpit is all too often quiet about that. So it was in the day of Ezekiel. And so the people thought it was all right. They had not heard a word from God about that. And then look at verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. They, they have oppressed the sojourner wrongfully. And finally, the prophet cries out, and I believe he is personifying the words of God. I don't believe this is just Ezekiel's call himself, though it seems to be as at a first reading. But as you read it more deeply and carefully, it almost sounds like Ezekiel is saying, here's what God is saying. I sought for a man among them who should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. The hedge has been broken, the hedge of protection. You've heard about guardian angels. I believe in guardian angels. They may be childlike and simplified. Every believer has the Holy Spirit within him. The scripture also teaches that there are angels. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. The angel of God watches. I think that's the reason children, any children ever grow up because the angel of God's watching over them. It's very, very difficult on parents to have children and see all the careless things they do and wonder if they'll ever make it to adulthood. But in addition to the guardian angel, God puts a hedge around his own people. Did you know that? There's a hedge of protection around you if you're God's child. There's a hedge of protection around God's people. I believe for years there's been a hedge of protection around America. But listen, willful sin, just like they say all of our environmental problems are causing a hole in the ozone layer, 
I don't know all about that. There's some that argue both ways about it. But if that's true, there's a hole in the ozone layer and they're saying we have to do something about our environment and all the pollution we're sending into the environment lest that hole widen and none of us can live on the earth. Well, I want to tell you, there's a protection band around God's people. But sin makes a hole in that protection. And the pollution of the world gets in. And instead of it coming together, the protection coming together, there's a hole in it. And this writer is saying, I'm looking for somebody who will stand in that hole, who will stand in that gap, and will say, here I stand, God being my helper, I can do nothing else. In the early church history, there was a Roman Catholic priest named Martin Luther. He was going through all the movements that were being put out by Rome. Among those were the selling of indulgences. They were building a big building in Rome. And in order to support the building, they were selling indulgences. And an indulgence is a prayer that you can pray to get somebody out of purgatory. But they would sell those indulgences. If I were a priest, you could come to me and say, I'll give you $10 or $20 or $100 if you'll pray to get Grandpa out of purgatory. And Martin Luther said, I've had it up to here. I know that's not in the Bible. And he was over in Rome, climbing up the steps, doing penance, trying to make up for his own sins on his knees. And the thought came to him, the just shall live by faith. He went back to Germany. And he nailed his 99 theses to the door of Wittenberg Church. He said, I'm going to stand in the gap. God's protection has been moved from the church because of our false doctrine. And I'm going to stand in the gap. God being my helper, I will stand here regardless. And he had to face winds of storms of obstacle, of opposition. Almost, of course, excommunicated and banned and almost, almost uh, uh, burned at the stake. Now, Ezekiel says, God is looking for somebody who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I should not destroy the land. America is in trouble today. Illegitimacy has increased 100%. Pornography has become a $200 million a year business, multiplied four times in two years. <clears throat> Venereal disease has increased 400% in 10 years. There are 11 million alcoholics. Our crime bill is 20 billions of dollars a year. And AIDS is an epidemic spreading across the earth. And basically, its cause is illegitimate sex. And God says, I'm looking for a man who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge that I should not destroy the land. Do you know there's no revival in America right now? We have protracted meetings. We have great evangelists. Baptists have revivals every few months. We do. Revival meetings. But as to there being a great spiritual awakening, our people's hearts are not in it. You call a revival meeting 
for next week or two weeks from now and announce it and ask the people to come. Why, if you have pew captains and you stand on your head and do everything you can to get the place full, you still can't get it full. People's hearts just aren't interested. When Billy Graham goes to a city for a revival meeting, he announces it a year or two ahead of time. He sends all kinds of front people there and then has a tremendous uh, campaign, advertisement campaign in order to get the people's attention. And he enlists all the churches and then they have great throngs come and many people walk down the aisle but when the, when the revival meeting closes, there's no real difference in that city. When Billy Sunday went to a revival meeting, when he left it, first of all, the press was mad at him, and they got in the paper and made fun of him, called him the emotional evangelist. But listen what else happened. The saloons closed. The theaters closed, not because they passed laws. Nobody wanted to go to the theater because their hearts had been changed. Now God says, I'm looking for a man who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge for the land that I should not destroy it. Very briefly in closing, I want to ask, I want to suggest three or four characteristics of that man. And anybody here could be it. First of all, a man of prayer and praise. A man of prayer and praise. He said, I was amazed there was no intercessor. Intercession is prayer. I'm looking for somebody who will pray, intercede before God. There came a time in Israel's history when God was about to destroy Israel. He was fed up. They had murmured against Moses and murmured and murmured and murmured and murmured. And so, so asinine they were behaving. God said one day, Moses, you leave this people. Come over here and I'll make a nation out of you. You know what Moses did? He got on his face before God and he said, God, don't destroy these people. Blot out my name if necessary, but don't destroy these people. And he interceded before God for the people. And God listened to him. God heard him. Do we have anybody today who will intercede? Is there some man who would come and say, I will be an intercessor? Now I want to tell you, if you're going to be an intercessor, you can't, ha can't be halfway in and halfway out. You just can't do it. An intercessor is somebody who is all the way in. God looks not so much at our words as he does at our actions. I may walk down the aisle and say, yes, I'll be an intercessor. I don't come back to church Sunday night or Wednesday night. I don't care about soul winning. I don't do anything else. God says, I thought you said you wanted to be something. An intercessor is somebody who not only intercedes, intercedes with his lips, but with his heart. His heart is in it. Moses was that kind of man. And a man of praise you know, our hearts need to praise God. When we sang a while ago, wasn't the singing beautiful? The choir was wonderful. Mrs. Vaught was precious. Brother Lloyd, dynamic in presenting us to that wonderful truth that the anchor holds. 
We heard about the story of one sat alone beside the highway begging. And then Jesus came. Everything was changed. What a beautiful story. When we sing, we need to praise God. When we come together in God's place, we need to praise Him. But not only in public places, we need to have some praise when we're out on the job. I don't see anything wrong with whistling a nice song. Go out in your work and whistle. And they'll say, I heard that tune somewhere. Where did I hear that? Oh, I used to hear that in Sunday school. Hey, do you go to church? And it'll be a wonderful contact. Instead of saying, and something else, you know, some silly song like, you are from the country and know that song. Now, you know, if you just sing some old ditty from the world, they won't identify you, but you sing something that praises God and they'll identify you as a Christian. I looked for a man who would intercede, who would be something for God, and who would praise the Lord. Secondly, somebody with a purpose. In Proverbs 29, verse 1, without a vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. In Isaiah 22, 1, Isaiah said the burden of the valley of vision had a vision of what God wanted to do. The burden of the valley of vision. I want to tell you, when you have a purpose for life, there's a burden about it. Now, you want an example of this? You think of the executive who's trying to build a strong business. Well, he doesn't just punch in at 8 o'clock in the morning and punch out at 5 in the afternoon and say, well, I hope my business does okay. He thinks about it all the time. He, if he's a Christian, he prays about it. If he's not a Christian, he thinks about it, sometimes worries about it, trying to get it going, trying to keep it going. It's on his mind all the time. Now, when you have a purpose for life, our purpose is to honor Christ. Our purpose is to bring revival to America. Our purpose is to do something to set America straight. Our purpose is to say, Lord, I want to be somebody that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. I'm willing to be used by God. God will use you. But there's a burden involved in it. The burden of the valley of vision. On page 414 in your songbook, there's a song that says, It is not an easy road. We're traveling to heaven. It's not easy. There's blood, sweat, and tears. Winston Churchill went to the front of the battle line during World War II. Britain had been under blitz. Germany was about to conquer England. They were sending their bombers over there every day. And it was a terrible midnight darkness in England. And Winston Churchill was elected to be prime minister. He went to the front of the battle line, held his finger up like this, for victory and he said we'll fight in the alleys we'll fight in the streets we'll fight for our homes there'll be blood sweat and tears but there'll be victory and England knew the cost of that awful war America entered it we put signs in our windows if we had a serviceman there it was a silver star some of you may remember that and sometimes those silver stars turned to gold stars when some of our loved ones died in the battlefields. There was a price involved to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. 
So it is with the Christian life, and so it is with the Christian commitment. So it is with God's hand upon this nation, upon our church, upon our families. God is looking for a man with a purpose. And thirdly, I think God is looking for a man who has received pardon from the Lord. Pardon. Now David was a man after God's own heart. He wrote the sweet psalms of Israel. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. All those wonderful songs, David wrote them. And then he was overtaken in a lust. And he yielded to that lust. He committed adultery. To hide his adultery, he committed murder. The little child he had was taken from him in death. Then one day the prophet came and told him a little story, a little parable, and then he turned right to David and said, Thou art the man. And David's heart smote him. Now remember, David was king. He could have gotten rid of the preacher. He could have called a deacon's meeting and fired the preacher. He could have had him beheaded like Herod had John the Baptist beheaded. But you see, David had something inside of him. You mean a Christian can commit adultery? Yes. A Christian can commit murder? David did. A Christian can tell lies? David did. Oh, wait a minute. David's heart smote him. And when he was confronted by the man of God, David got down on his face before God and he said, Oh God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this iniquity. Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Then will I teach transgressors thy way and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David was a man who knew how to get God's pardon. Now listen, you cannot stand in the gap and make up the hedge without God's pardon can't do it. For those who are saved, God's children, and you've allowed some sin to get in your life, and you're, you're callous toward God, you're not as close to Him as you once were, you're not filled with His precious power and Holy Spirit, take it to Jesus. Ask Him to cleanse you and forgive you. Be honest with Him. Don't run from it. He that confesseth his sins and forsakes them, God will honor him. But if you hide your sin, and you don't tell God about it, eventually there will be terrible judgment on it. If you've never been saved, if you're not a Christian, take that sin to Jesus. Ask Him to cleanse you. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death in hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He'll forgive your transgressions and remember them against you no more. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this brief passage of Scripture that reminds us God is looking for a man. I'm sure God is looking for a woman. God is looking for a teen. God is looking for a young child who would dare to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. May it not be said, I found none. 
but we pray there will be some who would volunteer to say, here my Lord, use me, use me. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. May we stand, please. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. This is God's invitation. I want to ask you to put all thoughts aside and just dwell, let, let your mind dwell on Christ for a moment and answer this question. Am I the kind of person God can use? Am I walking with him, living for him, serving him? Have I got unconfessed sin in my life? Have I really confessed Christ as my personal Savior and Lord? Or have I said I'm trusting Jesus and then hidden it? I've said, well, I'm, I'm afraid of the people. I'm too timid. I can't walk down that aisle. I can't let anybody know I'm a Christian. So you've tried to hide it. God is looking for somebody who will be open in his profession of faith. Take a stand for God. Take upon him the stigma of a Christian being part of God's fellowship in the church. If your membership is somewhere else and God wants you at this place, would you come? If you need to come and confess Christ as your Savior, would you come? If God has spoken to you about a matter in your life and you're willing to say, Lord, use me. Here am I, use me. Would you present yourself before God while we sing, who will come for Christ today? God help you to do it.